Good morning. Well, we're back to the book of Proverbs to think about wisdom. And actually, this is going to be our last sermon. There's an awful lot we've left unsaid, isn't there? In the book of Proverbs, so many things to explore and look at. But this is going to be our last one for now anyway. Maybe we'll revisit it someday. Um, but if you're keen to do that before we get around to doing it again as a sermon series, I'm going to recommend a book to you. This is called The Way of Wisdom. You can see that all right. And The Way of Wisdom, Timothy Keller. It's a daily reading through Proverbs. So each day, He'll give you uh, a verse or two, and then a little, um, a little chewing over of that verse, and then a prayer to pray. It's a good, good one. Maybe Christmas or a birthday coming up. Uh, it's a great little present for kind of devotional, devotional stuff. And he breaks it down into kind of what wisdom is. Explains a lot of that in the beginning, and then lots of different subjects, looking at the human heart, looking at temptation, looking at uh, emotions, and then breaks it down into kind of regions of the world. I don't mean geographical, but kind of circles that we might think of in life. And that's what we've been looking at. We've been looking at friendship. We've been looking at wealth. Uh, and now we're coming to look today at family and different relationships within the family. You might be tempted to switch off and think, well, I'm not a father or mother of children when I'm speaking to parents. Or you might think, oh, well, I'm not a child anymore. Um, so you might be tempted to switch off there. Or maybe if we get time later on, we'll talk a little bit to married couples. And if you're not married or You've been married, but you're not any longer, or you've never been married. Well, there's people in all sorts of different kinds of relationships and situations in our church. Some are little children, um, some are grown-up children. I guess most of us are that in some way, aren't we? Some of us are parents, others are not. Um, some are married, others aren't. And so there'll be all sorts of different things uh, that we feel, different ways that we respond to this, different ways that we hear this. Uh, but hopefully a lot of the wisdom that we'll hear in each of the different relationships that we look at will be applicable to lots of other areas as well. So keep switched on, um, keep your Bible open, and I hope it'll be helpful as we go through a few different proverbs um, that we can gather together under the theme of family and look at these. So why don't I pray? And then we're going to read a few different proverbs and a little bit from the New Testament, and then we'll come back and see what we can see. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this book. Um, your scriptures are so precious to us. Thank you that they aren't just a, a manual for life, but Lord, we thank you for this book of Proverbs, which really does help us to live life, helps us to see and to know and to learn wisdom. So Lord, make us wise, we pray. Help us to be humble. Help us to see what we can learn. Help us to not just listen through the ears of other people and wish that they were hearing this, but Lord, we ask that you'd help us to hear what you have for us today, that you would um, shape us, that you would change us, and not just teach us tips for life, but Lord, most of all, we pray you'd help us to see the Lord Jesus and that, um, that he would be the biggest thing in our eyes, in our lives, and that we might serve you and uh, love him and, um, and love one another all of our days. Lord, we want to be wise people who are good at life. You've put us in such a good world and given us so much. So Lord, we ask that you'd help us to think it through, to chew it over, and as we do that together now, we ask that you bless us and change us and make us people who live wisely in your world. Amen. Amen. All right. So Proverbs, if you've got a Bible there, get ready. You might need to stretch your fingers out. We've got a bit of flicking to do this morning. So Proverbs 3 is where we're going to begin. Read Proverbs 3. Read you from verse 1 and then we'll skip on a bit. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commandments in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them round your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge or submit to him and he will make your paths straight. 
Now skip down to verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Discipline and delight. See if you can spot those go together in our next passage, which is all the way towards the other end of Proverbs. We're going to look at chapter 23, verses 22 to 26. So Proverbs 23 from verse 22 goes like this. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Wisdom, instruction and insight as well. Buy it. Hold on to it, whatever the cost. That's a big theme in Proverbs. Whatever it costs you, get wisdom and never let go of it. The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. May your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes delight in my ways. That was Proverbs 23. Now we're going to turn back to Proverbs 22, chapter 22. And two verses from here. These are a couple of famous verses when it comes to children and discipline. Proverbs 22, verse 15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. And then chapter 22, verse 5, sorry, verse 6, Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. That's a famous verse. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. And then our last proverb, back a little bit more, is chapter 17, verse 6. Chapter 17, verse 6. Children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. Children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. I wonder if that's true for you and yours and, and all who you love and know. Now, those are our Proverbs for today, and we're going to go to Romans chapter 8. I told you you'd need nimble fingers. Romans chapter 8, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Oh, I've got this paper there. Romans chapter 8, 14 to 17. Now, who's your real father? If you, particularly if you had a, a bad or an evil or an absent father or mother, or who's your great parent? Who's the one who really loves you well? Chapter 8 of Romans, Romans 8 verse 14 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit who received, sorry, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit's been sent into our hearts so that we know God as our father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Just, we'll think about that later, but everything that belongs to Jesus now belongs to you, if you're a child of God. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So we walk Jesus' path. We're God's children now. And Jesus is our big brother who leads us by the hand and shows us the way. My voice is a little bit croaky today. Um, maybe you can pray that we get through this. All right, but okay, let's get back to Proverbs. And I want really to look at two relationships and we'll see if we have time to get on to the third. And um, the first one is children with parents. Children, how do you respond to your parents? If you're young, if you're old, this is for you. And then we'll do parents, how do you relate to your children? And I hope there's be something for all of us even there. And then we might get on to spouses, husbands and wives, and how, we, how, how we're to think about our relationships together if you're married. 
Okay, but first of all, all of us are children, so let's begin there. Children with parents. How are we supposed to treat our parents? Well, I wonder if you spotted anything in those proverbs there. Um, we're not to despise our parents. That's the first thing. My son, that was chapter three, don't despise the Lord's discipline. Don't resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in, or chapter 23, that was a similar thing, wasn't it? Listen to your father who gave you life. Don't despise your mother when she's old. So that's Proverbs saying, don't despise your parents. But what's the opposite of that? What's the opposite of despising? I think you could say the opposite of that is what one of the Ten Commandments says, which is to honour your father and mother. I think that's basically the teaching of Proverbs for children, is that we're to honour our parents. Now, we need to be quite careful there. When that commandment in Exodus says, honour your father and mother, it doesn't say necessarily that you're to love your father and mother or to trust your father and mother or to um, like or even respect or um, uh, or uh, look up to your father and mother. It says to honour your father and mother. That's because there's a great range of parents, aren't there? You'll know this and I'll know this. Um, some of us, statistically, are going to be average or below average parents, if you counted us all up together. Um, so we know, not just from statistics, but from our own experience, that some parents are not good parents. Maybe that was your parents. Maybe you didn't have really people who you could call parents. Maybe you were brought up in care. Maybe you had a single mum or a single dad who looked after you. Uh, maybe you feel the loss of that. Um, but parents come in all different shapes and sizes. Sometimes they're great, sometimes they're really not great. Sometimes you can trust them and sometimes you can't trust them. Sometimes you love them and they're really, really lovable and, um, and just brilliant. And sometimes they're the, the opposite and they're evil and they hurt you and abuse you. And there's plenty of people in our own culture, plenty of children growing up in our own streets here in Hammerford who don't have parents or who have terrible parents. But scripture says, Whatever your parents are like, you're to honour them. What does that look like? Well, for children, if you're still living under their roof, um, there is a command in Scripture later on in the New Testament that says you're to obey your parents in the Lord. That means if they're doing what Jesus would tell you to do, if they're honouring and serving him, if they're doing what's good and what's right and what's just and, and asking you, commanding you, teaching you to do those things, then you should obey them. Um, so if you're a child listening to this, sorry to say, um, the Bible doesn't get you off the hook, you really should obey your parents. It's a good thing to do, especially if you've got good parents. It's a great thing to do. But obey your parents in the Lord, it says later on in the New Testament. So if your parents are trying to get you to do something that's wrong, or if they're abusing you, you don't have to obey them. In fact, it's a very loving and kind thing not to obey somebody who's not loving, or not to obey somebody who's not kind, to try and stop them from being unloving, to try and stop them from being selfish, from being abusive. That's the kindest thing that you could do. So that, even that command towards obedience for children isn't a command um, to be a doormat. It isn't saying that you should just let them do whatever they want because they're your mum and dad and you have to. No, you should be obedient as far as they are teaching you and, and telling you to do what's good, even if you don't like it, even if it's frustrating, even if it's annoying, you should be obedient to them. But all the way through your life, you have to honour them, even if they've died. Now, how do you do that practically? How do you honour your parents? Well, you should listen to them. Um, that's one thing we've talked about already, right? Being obedient if they're teaching you what's good, even if it's a bit annoying. 
um, listening to their teaching. That's actually what the whole of the Proverbs is about. Did you know that this is a whole book from the beginning and from the end, which is kind of written by a father and a mother at different points, different people that speak um, to their children. It begins with a dad saying, listen, my son, I want you to have some wisdom. You need that in your life or it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a mess. You need to know wisdom. You need to know God. Starts with a father saying that. And it ends with a mother, actually a king writing about his mother's advice to him about women and about what um, what women should be like. It's a really, really beautiful book from parents, from a mother and a father to their children. So how do we honour our parents? If you're a child, if you're an adult, that'll look different at different times. For adult children especially, there's no command in scripture to obey your parents. In fact, really, you should at some point move out, um, even if that's not physically, but kind of move out from being under their uh, rule, under their care, and you should become an adult yourself and grow in not so much independence, because that, that kind of gives you the idea that you're cutting yourself off from other people, but grow in maturity. Grow to be a wise person on, uh, on your own, uh, of yourself. So how could you do that? Well, okay, five things. Tim Keller, in, it's in this book, he gives us five ways that children, especially adult children, can honour their parents. Um, for younger children, how do you honour them? Well, you listen to them and delight in them and um, try to take on board what they're saying. For adults, how could you do that? Well, it's sometimes a little bit more tricky. But here's five ways, Tim Keller says, you could honour your parents. One, find the symbols in your culture that show honour to older people, to your parents. So what are the special days that you should observe, that you should remember to send a card or invite them over for dinner? Uh, is there a place at the table or a place in your family gatherings that they should have and show them honour, even if they don't deserve it? Um, could you let them speak first? Could you bring them in on decisions? Could you ask their advice? Could you talk to them? What are the ways in our culture that we show honour to our parents? Maybe one way, could you let them be grandparents if you've got children of your own, rather than asking them to be second parents for your children? I think that's something that we struggle with a bit in our culture now. Lots of two-income families, lots of people um, who need to do that, and so we put an awful lot of pressure on our children's grandparents, on our parents. And so do they have the privilege? Do they get the joy of just being grandparents and delighting in their grandchildren? Or do we put a lot of pressure on them? Does that honour your parents and how much we ask them to, um, to look after our own children, um, to help us out in our lives? Our parents give an awful lot when we were growing up. So can we give them some space? Can we honour them by giving them some time to retire and to rest from all of their labours? Let them be grandparents. Um, that's for the first thing, maybe find the symbols. Number two, uh, let them change. <laughs> um, don't stereotype them. Maybe they've treated you this way all the way through life and now you're an adult. They've changed all of a sudden. Their political views have changed. Their spiritual views have changed. Uh, the way that they treat your children is different from the way that they treated you and that can be frustrating as an adult. But would you let them change? Just cut them a bit of slack. That's number two. Number three, um, would you tell them how much they've shaped you in good ways? If you notice that your dad taught you something or that your mum's character has rubbed, up on, rubbed off on you in a good way, would you share that with them? Parents love, I love it with my little ones, just to see how they look like me physically, but also just in their character, in the way that they are. And it's, it's not easy to see that when you're an, a parent of adult children, I don't think. We should let them in and tell them how much they mean to us. Tell them that we love them. Tell them how much they've meant to us in our lives, even if it wasn't very much. See if you can find something and encourage them. That was thing number three. Number four, you need to forgive them. There's a, a proverb later on. It's chapter 20, verse 20. 
that's helpful for you if you've got real struggles with your parents. If there's things that um, still bug you today that you haven't really forgiven them for, this is a warning in Proverbs 20 verse 20. If someone curses their father and mother, their lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness. What does that mean? It means you've got to let it go. Whatever they did to you, uh, whatever's happened, you need to bring that to God and ask him to help you to let it go. Ask him to help you to forgive them. Because if you don't, then you won't really grow up. You'll still be under their influence, right? Under their control. Even if they've died, even if they're gone. Far, far away. If you can't forgive them, they still control you. So in some way, you're still a child. You need to grow up in that way. Don't curse them. Don't hold on to those grudges. Don't let that root of bitterness take hold. If it's taken hold, you've got to ask God, the gardener, to help dig it out and let it go. Or it'll darken the whole of your life. Your lamp will be snuffed out. That's thing number four, forgive them. And then number five, be free. Be free of their approval. Remember Romans 8, do you remember what that said? That God is our ultimate father, that he's the one who loves us above all, that he's the one because of Jesus, he's the one who looks at you as his child and says, this is my son, or this is my daughter, whom I love. With them, I'm well pleased. Do those words sound familiar? They're God's words over Jesus at his baptism. You can read them in a few of the different gospels. He looks to his son and he says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. I love my son. And that's what God says of you. If you're somebody who's in Jesus, who's trusting in him, if his spirit's been sent into your heart to help you know him as your father, well, don't let your experience with your father or mother or in this world color that. Remember and see that God has given everything for you, that Jesus had his relationship with his father torn, torn apart. He gave it up. He was forsaken so that we could be brought close to God, to have him as our father, to say that prayer, it trips off the tongue, doesn't it? Our Father who art in heaven. But it's an amazing thing to call him Abba, Father. To have a part of his own person, his Holy Spirit, God himself, in us. Helping us to know him as our Father. It's a huge privilege. So, it's only in really knowing that love, knowing God's love for you, that you'll be able to be free from needing your parents' approval or from... Um, struggling to forgive your parents. It's only when you know that God loves you with that unbreakable, never stopping, never giving up, always and forever kind of steadfast love. It's only when you know you have his approval and his love that you can be free of your parents' approval. You can be free of trying to please them, of trying to um, run your life in a way that's still kind of run by them. You need to be free of your parents. That actually will improve your relationship with them if they're still around. So five things. Uh, Find the symbols that show honour. Uh, let them change. Don't stereotype them. Remind them. Tell them how they've helped and changed and rubbed off on you. Forgive them. Be free of them. There's five things, five ways to honour your father and your mother. Whether you're young or old, I wonder how that can apply to you this week. Okay, number two, parents with children. How should we behave towards each other? Man, we're running out of time as well, so maybe we'll finish on this and I'll give you a few pointers for husbands and wives to go home and look at later on. Parents to children. Well, we read actually a lot about this, didn't we? We read that children really need help. This is a bit of a jarring verse in um, 20, what was it? No, sorry, 22, verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. That's not how we often think of children in our culture, isn't it? We often think of them as fairly innocent, as sort of needing a little bit of help, of affirmation, of encouragement, of, um, of putting together a structure to help them uh, learn through play, to help them discover things for themselves, to, 
uh, to go on their journey of self-discovery. So we're often about affirming them and just helping them to find themselves and be who they really are. And part of that is a, a kind of good desire, but that proverb says folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but there's lots of things that children are pretty foolish about or ignorant about. They just don't really understand how life works. They don't know how other people see them when they behave a certain way, so you need to teach them. They don't know how other people feel when they act a certain way towards them, and so you need to teach them empathy. Or uh, they don't know how things work. They, um, they're self-centered. I mean, from babies who just scream for their mother's milk all the way through, we struggle this, with this as humans, don't we? Being self-centered. And kids, above all, in a way, they can't help it. They're born foolish. That was you and that was me, and maybe it is us, to be honest. So if you're a child listening to this, no offense, um, but you do need to learn a lot. You need your mum and your dad, your grandparents, your mothers and fathers in church to help you to learn to be a wise person. So kids need discipline, but they also need delight. This is the two things, two Ds for parents and how we relate to our children. The first is discipline because we're all fools by nature. We need help and we need teaching and we need to get wisdom, whatever it costs. We need discipline, but we need delight as well. We need parents who aren't just affirming us and you know telling us that everything that we are and do is fine that doesn't help anybody that just bakes the foolishness in and it's hard to get rid of foolishness later on in life once you've got into all those bad habits but neither do we need just to be beaten up to be um, disciplined to be commanded to be controlled see that's the temptation when you read a lot about rods in um, proverbs not rodry um but I mean, like sticks, rods come up quite a lot in Proverbs. Um, so you might hear that uh, verse that says, or the, the proverb, which is actually a twist. It's not really what it says uh, in Proverbs 13, but you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. It's not quite what it says, um, but there's a lot about rods and about discipline. And now just a quick word on that. It doesn't always mean corporal punishment. In fact, that's now illegal in Wales. So I'd encourage you not to do that. Um, uh, and also not to worry that you're disobeying the commands of Scripture if you're not doing corporal punishment in your home. Um, Proverbs, when it talks about the rod, is using that, sometimes literally, because that's what they did in this culture, but often it's, um, it's more like a general term, not quite a metaphor, but like a general term for authority and for, for what parents do, for telling kids what's right and wrong, for bringing some discipline at some points. And in this culture, in other cultures, at certain times and places, um, they have literally used rods or corporal punishment to do that. I don't think it's appropriate to do that in Wales now um, because it's illegal and we should obey our government as far as that, um, as far as that's a righteous thing to do. I don't think scripture, I don't think Proverbs gives us commands to uh, spank our children. Okay, But it does give us great encouragement and commands to discipline them well and to discipline them in a way that will help them to grow into who God has made them to be. So that was this famous verse in chapter 22, uh, verse six, start a child off in the way they should go. And even when they're old, they will not turn from it. You really need to teach a child the way they should go. You need to discipline them, but they also need delight, right? They need discipline that will fit them. Sometimes that's just a, a dirty look and the child will go to pieces and they'll know they've done wrong and they'll they'll say sorry. Sometimes that'll be firmer things, being uh, sent to your room, put on the naughty step. I don't know, however it is you do discipline in a right way. But it needs to be discipline with delight, discipline that comes to an end, discipline that really is rooted in love. Did you hear that? That was in Proverbs 23, the longer passage that we read earlier on. 
Listen to your father who gave you life. Don't despise your mother when she's old. Buy the truth, don't sell it. Wisdom and instruction and insight as well. The father of a righteous child has great joy. The father has joy. A man, whose father, uh, a man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. May your father and your mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. See, mum and dad are involved in discipline. My son, give me your heart. Let your eyes delight in my ways. So there's mutual delight. Do you see that? It's not just parents or one parent um, always nagging and, and kind of being down on a child. There should be delight and love behind that discipline. And it isn't just children always taking it and, um, and kind of resenting it. It should eventually, if the child becomes wise, bear fruit in love and joy for their parents. Do you see that they're delighting in each other? In the relationship that they have as they've grown in wisdom and become adults, parents and children can delight in each other. That was that last verse that we read. It's really, really beautiful verse, isn't it? Chapter 17, verse 6. Children's children are a crown to the aged. Um, grandchildren, what a blessing they are. And parents are the pride of their children. We often say the other way around, don't they? Oh, here's my pride and joy, my little boy, my little girl. What a wonderful last she is. But parents here are the pride of their children. Have you ever felt proud of your parents? Have you ever looked up to them and thought, yeah, I want to be like that someday? Are there things in their lives that make you think, if I could just do that, say that, be that, wow, I'm so proud of my parents. Have you ever told them that? We see, it should be a mutual delight, right? There should be discipline and that should be appropriate to the child. Um, but it should, it should come from delight. Okay, that's the way that our cultures have gone in the West. Um, maybe our cultures in church, there'll be different families who are on different sides of it. We've got to find um, the way of wisdom that lies in delight and in love, not command and control on one side or affirmation and self-discovery only on the other side. There's got to be a way where we discipline with consistency, with goodness, with righteousness, with integrity, but with love and delight as well. Because what's the aim? The aim isn't just to control our children. The aim isn't just to uh, affirm and kind of let them do whatever they want. The aim is to make and help our children to become wise and righteous. And you can't do that by just beating them up and forcing them um, to live according to your ways. You can't do that by just setting them free to discover life for, the, for themselves. There has to be discipline and also delight. There has to be love. And the aim of it all is wisdom. I hope that's um, helpful. That's really the tone of Proverbs. Uh, maybe one thing to say, I forgot to mention this before, that verse in 22 sounds like a promise. Start a child off on the way they should go. Even when they're old, they won't depart from it. You might remember if you were here at the beginning of the Proverbs series, I mentioned that Proverbs are not usually not commands or promises. They're sort of in between. They're more like probabilities. So often there are actually quite a few commands in the Proverbs. I was probably wrong to say that there aren't any. <laughs> that was a bit too far. Um, but they're often um, encouragements. They're saying you really should do this in certain circumstances. You've got to chew over that command and work out when it's appropriate to do this or to not do that. They're commands that really take a bit of chewing. And this one is not a promise, but it's a probability. It's to say if your child's brought up with consistency, with goodness, with righteousness, with parents who love them, no matter what, however much of a sinner they are, no matter what, if you love that child and give them your delight and your love and your integrity and goodness. If you show them that way, well, they might, they might go a different way. They might have um, different views when they grow up to you, but you'll have brought them up. 
You'll have helped them to grow to maturity. You'll have taught them to be critical in their reasoning, critical in their um, ethics, critical in thinking about life and trying to become wise. So how can we be good children? Well, all of us are children. Children of parents, children of grandparents, children ultimately of God if you're a Christian. So how can you be a good child? Well, you need to know that God loves you and that'll help you love others, love your parents and your grandparents, even when that's difficult. How can we be parents to children? Well, all of us as we grow and as, as a part of God's family in the church are parents to the children around us. And so how are we going to be parents? Well, we need to be parents like God is a parent to us who disciplines us and teaches us the way. Go and read Hebrews 12, beginning of Hebrews 12. It talks about God's discipline of us, how it's good and brings fruit and joy in the end. God disciplines us, but he does it with delight. He doesn't punish and crush us. He's given his only son to be punished and crushed so that we could be free, so that we could know his love and his delight. And he's brought us into the fellowship of Father, Son and Spirit so that we could know him as our father. Do you know God as your father? Have you come home to him, to the church, to people who are your mothers and fathers, who will help you and delight in you, who will help you walk God's wise way and will do it with delight? I hope you know mothers and fathers like that, even if your own parents were like that. Are you somebody who knows God as your father, as his child? Are you somebody who's come home to belong with him, even if you don't have great parents? Even if you haven't been a great parent, if you recognise that you've made a bit of a mess of your own life, of your children's lives, of your parents' lives. Well, that's all of us, isn't it? All of us have made really painful mistakes when it comes to family. But God is a father who opens his arms, who gives his spirit to all of those who will come and say, I've made a mess. Lord, would you forgive me? And would you welcome me home? And he says, yes, come home. Let me be your father. And you'll be my son, whom I love. Shall we pray? Um, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that that's true, that you are a father who loves us that you've given us your only son to die for us, to wash away all that is wrong and broken in our relationships, Lord, with you and with those around us. Thank you that you forgive us and that you cleanse us. We thank you that you welcome us into a new family as well, to, um, Lord, to be children, to be parents for each other and to be children of yours. Lord, help us to do that, we pray, to, um, to relax and to rest in the freedom that there is in your love, that we might love one another well, whether we're parents or children or both in some way. Lord, we thank you that you are a father to us who is so good and so generous and so patient and so consistent. Lord, that you want wisdom and life for us and that you give it to us. Lord, we thank you for that and ask that you would give us life this week and help us to walk in your ways for your namesake and for the good of those around us. Amen. Amen. Well, there's plenty for you to chew on in that. Um, I hope it hasn't been too much of a do this or do that. Um, but let me give you something else if you're still here, still listening, um, something for husbands and wives to think about. Go and read chapter five of Proverbs. Um, chapter five, let me give you some specific verses. Chapter five um, is all about delighting in each other, in romance, in um, intimate physical love with each other. Go and see what it says about being intoxicated. It's like the word for drunkenness in each other's love. So we're supposed to be roman romantics with your spouse. Um, but you're also supposed to be deep friends. Chapter 2, verse 17, this word partner comes up quite a few times. It's, it's uh, maybe the strongest Hebrew word for friend, like a closest friend, somebody who's been with you through every battle. That's what your spouse is supposed to be like, a lover and a friend. That's, that was unique in ancient culture. It's pretty unique in today's culture as well. Usually we go with one or the other, don't we? Oh, they're kind of a, a life partner. 
but I'm not sure I really love them anymore. I kind of find my romantic fulfillment somewhere else. Or maybe we're all into romance and, and kind of doing things together, projects together is not really what we're about. Well, we're supposed to be in marriages, romantics and deep friends, which mixed together gives you ministry. So I want you to go and think about that. What kind of ministry do you have with your spouse? Do you have a project that you're doing together? Uh, the, the project in Proverbs, mostly the one that gets talked about most here is, is looking after the poor, is being hospitable and generous and looking after those who are struggling in life. I wonder if you have a ministry together. I wonder if you love each other and intoxicated in each other's love, well, be faithful. I wonder if you are such good battle-weary, <laughs> battle-hardened friends that you, you stick together for the good of others. That's what marriage is about in the book of Proverbs, but it's really hard to be like that. Often, and I know how many broken marriages there are in the church, how many really difficult marriages we have, we have and suffer with, how hard it can be even in a good marriage to, uh, to be intoxicated with each other's love or to really feel like friends, to feel like you're in the same direction, to not feel like you're just pulling each other in different ways and trying to find just compromise rather than real partnership. That's really hard. It's really hard to be married. What you need to know, again, is, is what Jesus has done for you. That Jesus committed, that he covenanted with his father to love his bride. And what did it cost him? What has his bride been like? Well, what have we been like with Jesus? We've been faithless. We've turned our backs on him. We've turned away from him. We've been cold towards him. We've, we've just done awful things to our lover and our friend, to our husband, the Lord Jesus. But what has he done for us? Nothing but goodness. Nothing but grace. Nothing but pouring his life out for us. So when you see him on the cross, when you think of him dying for you, you could think about that this week. Well, what is he doing? He's a husband. He's a husband who is staying with a faithless wife. That's what I'm like. That's what you're like. With a wife who often turns, his, turns her back on him. The church is called Jesus Bride, right? That's where we're getting this from. That Jesus stuck the course. Jesus put up with us, that Jesus looked at us and he didn't say, well, you've treated me badly, I'm going to do the same with you, I'm off. It, completely opposite. Jesus says that he loves us and that he's willing to die for us, to go through that, to go to the cross, to put up with and to redeem, to make beautiful a bride who he love forever. And so if you've got a really hard spouse, you can say something like this to them. Look, you've sinned against me. You can say it in your heart, even if you don't say it out loud. you sinned against me but I've sinned against Jesus and he's loved me and covered me anyway and so I can love you and cover you. If you've got a hard spouse, then you need to look to Jesus because he's got a hard spouse, he's got us. Um, maybe you're in a dangerous relationship though. It's worth saying, um, if your spouse has been adulterous, if your spouse is abusing you, if your spouse has abandoned you, um, then it's not wrong to be free from them. It's not wrong to flee, to run to a place of safety. And at least give it some time, if not leave that relationship altogether. Jesus allows that, and I would encourage that. If you're in danger, if, um, if somebody's broken their vows to you, then like I said to the kids earlier on, the most loving thing you can do is not to be a doormat. The most loving thing you can do to someone who's not loving is to help them to love uh, by stopping their evil. The most kind thing you can do to someone who's rotten and unkind is to stop their unkindness and run, run for your life. Please don't hear the Lord Jesus or me or scripture or Proverbs saying you have to stay with somebody who's abusing you. That's not true, it's not the case. Jesus wants you to be safe 
He wants you to know love. He wants you to be free. And he wants you to know what he's like as a good husband. So if you need to get out, then you should get out. And we can help you. Send us a message below. It can be totally anonymous. Um, write to us on the church page. It's totally private. It'll come to me. It'll come to Sammy. And we can connect you up with, um, with the right people, with the right organisations to help you out. Okay, that's a bit of a serious note to end on. But if that's your situation, then you need to know that we're here for you. And we love you. But Jesus loves you even more than anybody ever could. And he wants you to be safe and to know life in all of its fullness. So if you need to go, then you can go and we can help you out. Okay? But husbands and wives... Um, if that's not your situation, then be patient, like Jesus is patient with you. Love one another as he's loved you. Give yourselves to each other as he's given himself to you. And um, pray, pray that God would change you and change your spouse and help you to be faithful to them and to be friends with them and to do ministry for the poor, for your neighbours, for the world together as he loves to do that with us, his bride. Let's pray. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you. Whatever our situation is, if we've been struggling in our marriages, Lord, if we just really want to be married and we never have been, Lord, that's a, that's a hard situation uh, in itself. Lord, we ask that you help us turn our eyes to you. Help us to see that you are our husband, whether we've never had one, had one whether we have a terrible spouse. Lord, whether we ha have lost our spouse and deeply missed them. Lord, we ask whatever situation we're in, that you would come close to us, that you would be our lover and our friend, that you would, you would, Lord, you would minister to our hearts and help us. We pray for those who are in dangerous situations. Lord, would you give them the courage to escape and, and give them people around them who love them and serve them and help them in that situation. Lord, for each one of us, whatever we're, our place we're in, whatever road it is you've called us to walk, we ask that you'd walk it with us and that you would provide people as well to walk with us every step of the journey. Lord, we thank you for Proverbs. Thank you for your way of wisdom. Thank you that you are the wise God and ask that you would give us wisdom. Lord, we lack it. We're so foolish in so many ways. Lord, would you make us wise, we pray. Because only, oh yeah, wisdom only comes from you. So Lord, would you give it to us generously and help us to walk in your ways for your glory, we pray.